A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father in heaven, as we come now to your word, Father, it is a remarkable thing that I just called the Bible your word. And what that means is, is that we anticipate that you're going to speak to us, um, that it's not simply um, a very, very, very old book recording the thoughts and concerns of a people long ago. It, it is that, but it's so much more that through these words, through this book, uh, you speak to us today. And Father, the weight of that truth, the wonder of that truth uh, is, is more than we can really grasp. But we, we ask that you would grant us the reality of it, that you would you, make yourself clear to us, speak to us, and speak in such a way that we are drawn uh, to drawn to you, drawn into closer relationship with you. We want the real thing. We don't want phony faith. We want real faith. We want you. Not the God of our imagination. Not the God that maybe we would invent if that was our job. But the God who's there. You. Who created us. And yet more wonderfully, in Jesus Christ, purchased our redemption. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, draw us into an animating, close and intimate relationship with you. Lord, we want to know you. So um, grant that as we consider your word, introduce yourself to us in a deeper and a new way, a renewing way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everyone, really good to see you. Would you please, uh, in your service sheets, I, it's on page nine, we're going to focus on the gospel reading uh, today, and we're going to ask the same question that we asked last week. So last week, if you're with us, we asked the question, um, what is faith? And more specifically, what is real faith, right? Because you can have good faith that the Bible and Jesus ask for and, and desire from us, but on the other hand, you can have phony faith, you can have toxic faith. So what's, what's real faith? And last week we said that um, real Christian faith is a trust in Jesus that's based on what Jesus says about himself. Now, um, today we're gonna ask that same question, but we're gonna try to fill in a little bit more detail. 
And we get to fill in that detail by looking at this gospel reading and sitting at the feet of one of the trailblazing pioneers of Christian faith. Um, take, take a look at that reading here for uh, just a second. This, this, you see this Canaanite woman? She is very impressive. And I say that this Canaanite woman is really, really impressive because Jesus thinks that she's really impressive. Um, and the funny thing about Jesus, I don't know if you've recognized this before, but Jesus is not always so easily impressed. Have you ever noticed that? So do you remember last week um, we were talking about uh, Peter? Jesus walks on the water on the Sea of Galilee. P Galilee. Peter is in the boat. He gets out and he walks a few steps towards Jesus. His faith is set on Jesus. He walks a couple steps on the water and then into the water he goes because his faith fails. Jesus grabs him, rescues him, puts him back in the boat. And when they sit down to debrief that experience, Jesus does not say what I might expect him to say. He does not say, oh, don't worry, Peter, you did great. You took two steps. You'll be better next time. That's not what he says. What he actually says is, oh, Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, contrast that debrief with what Peter says, or what Jesus says to the Canaanite woman in verse 28 of our reading, at the end of our reading. Jesus looks at this woman, this Canaanite woman, and he exclaims, oh woman, great is your faith. Now, that's a big deal. Jesus praises her faith. He celebrates her faith. Jesus is impressed with her faith. And he, he gives her this compliment that, that he doesn't give anybody else in the Gospel of Matthew. One other person comes close, but not quite. And it's almost as if Jesus looks at this Canaanite woman and he says, hey, listen, um, if, does anybody want to know what real faith is? Is anybody interested in that? Well, if you're interested in what real faith looks like, look at this woman. She knows what she's doing. This is real faith. So we get to learn from someone whose faith really got Jesus's attention, and that's fantastic. But not only is this Canaanite woman a hero when it comes to faith, in Jesus Christ. She's also a trailblazing pioneer. Here's why. This woman is a Canaanite woman, which means that she's not Jewish. She's a Gentile. And at this point in the story of Jesus, basically 100% of Jesus's followers were Jewish. And it was still years before non-Jews uh, joined Jesus in any real numbers. So she, this Canaanite woman, is blazing a trail that many of us are walking on now. In fact, I don't know if you've uh, uh, noticed this, but she's really part of the fulfillment of that first reading. That first reading says people beyond Israel are going to be joined to the Lord in the future. And, and we get to see this Canaanite woman is one of the very first non-Jewish people who are joined to Jesus by faith. So, the opportunity this morning is that we get to sit at the, fate, at the feet of a trailblazing virtuoso in faith. And here's what she's going to teach us. Real Christian faith is a persistent and exclusive reliance upon the mercy of Jesus Christ. This woman trusts not in anything in herself. She trusts exclusively in the mercy of Jesus Christ. And as she plays all faith in Jesus Christ, she, her status is elevated. Jesus elevates her and praises her. And we get to sit at her feet and learn. 
let's get into the story. So when the scene opens up at the beginning of the gospel reading, Jesus and his disciples, they're tired. Um, it appears that they're trying to get away for a break. Um, we know that because for, if you read the larger section of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus and his disciples, they've been trying to get away uh, and rest or, or spend some time uh, just talking together, and, and Jesus wants to spend some time training his disciples. They've been trying to get away for a while, but every time they get away, um, a big crowd follows them, finds them, and then, and then Jesus ends up healing a bunch of people. So finally, in verse 21, the beginning of our reading, Jesus and his disciples, they withdraw. It means they leave the area, and they go to a place uh, around Tyre and Sidon, which is close to Beirut today. But what this means is that Jesus and his disciples, they're out of their own country. They're not in Jewish territory. They're in a place that is religiously and culturally and geographically away from their normal. Jesus is trying to take a break. And right in the middle or right at the beginning of their supposed break, they face what must have seemed initially like an interruption. Verse 22, it says, and behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, and she kept on saying this, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, this is where this story, did it seem weird to you? This is when the story seems to, be, seems to become a little odd, at least from my perspective. Because initially, Jesus basically says no to this woman. He, 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 at first, he's silent. And then he says, listen, I'm really focused on a mission to Israel, not to the Gentiles. But nevertheless, this Canaanite woman will not give up. She actually positions herself in front of Jesus, kneels down at his feet and says, verse 25, Lord, help me. And then Jesus says something that makes me extremely uncomfortable. Jesus looks at this woman in verse 26, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, wait a second. I, I mean, so all this week, as I've been wrestling with this text, I, I sort of want to, I, I find myself kind of pushing back and going, Jesus, did you just say that? Is that, is that, is that what you just said? I, I mean, does this statement give you any trouble? Am I, am I the only one? This statement gives me all kinds of trouble. Did Jesus, did you literally just compare her to a, I don't even know what, now, what's going on? Well, listen, the, apparently this was a pretty conventional way to talk at the time. But nevertheless, there's part of me that wants this Canaanite woman to push back at this statement. I want her to push back at this statement and say something like, hey, that's not fair. I should have the same treatment that everybody else has. I'm entitled to this miracle as much as anybody else is. Heal my daughter. That's sort of what Jim wants the Canaanite woman to say. Now, I, I, can you identify with that? Maybe you, maybe you can't, but here's, here's the deal. The more I read this passage this week and wrestled with this, the more I realized that this Canaanite woman, she, she really doesn't need my help. Um, I realize she's smarter than me and she's got more faith than I do. And she's not offended by what Jesus says. Instead, 
it gives her the opportunity to come back at Jesus with just a statement that is mic drop brilliant. Look at verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, I want to show you that that is an absolutely brilliant way to respond. And to explain why it's brilliant, we need to back up and look at the Old Testament for a few minutes. Now, in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, the majority of it is the story of Israel. And the story of Israel really gets going with a guy called Abraham. You've heard of him. Now, when we meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he's almost a nobody. But in Genesis chapter 12, God interrupts Abraham's life and gives him a remarkable promise. And basically the promise is this. God says, Abraham... Um, not because of anything in you, but because of a merciful impulse in me, I'm going to give you a family. And it's going to be a giant family. It's going to be the family called Israel. And I'm going to bless this family called Israel. And then through this family called Israel, I'm going to end up blessing all the nations of the world. Now, Abraham heard this promise. And just like we saw last week, he placed his faith in the Lord. That is to say, he trusted the Lord based upon what the Lord said about himself. But now, the rest of the Old Testament is almost entirely a story about how the Lord fulfills that promise to Abraham by pouring out mercy after mercy upon the people of Israel. Year after year and century after century, the Lord pours out his mercy, blessing Israel. The Lord pours out his mercy, correcting Israel. But the camera focus and the camera angle is always on the Lord blessing this particular nation of Israel. And you can see this in our reading. Um, verse 24, Jesus says, hey, I am sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, meaning I am sent to fulfill God's promise to Abraham by blessing the people of Israel. Israel is the special focus of the Lord's mercy. Except not entirely. If you read the Old Testament, and our first reading from Isaiah is a great example of this, if you read the Old Testament every now and then, it's as if the mercy of the Lord towards Israel sort of overflows its banks and floods the other nations around Israel. Or to use a different image, the Lord's mercy is like a giant feast. And Israel is sitting at this table with more, uh, with a greater feast than they know what to do with. And there's mercy left over after Israel has had all the mercy that they need. And every now and then, other nations around Israel get to sit at that table and enjoy the meal of God's mercy along with them. Let me give you an example. It's an example about a woman called Rahab. This is in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Rahab is a Canaanite woman, and Rahab is a prostitute. And she lived in a town called Jericho. Now, Jericho and Israel were about ready to go to war, but Rahab had heard about Israel's God, and she had heard about the Lord of Israel and how he had mercy on Israel, and she heard about how the Lord had rescued Israel from Egypt and from slavery because of his sheer mercy. And therefore Rahab 
this apparent enemy of Israel decides to see if the Lord's mercy can overflow the banks of Israel and reach out to her. She decides to see if the feast of the Lord's mercy to Israel was big enough for her to have part of the meal too. In a sense, she's asking the question in Jericho, as the Israelite army is beginning to prepare for war, she's asking the question, are there crumbs enough of the Lord's mercy for a Canaanite prostitute? And therefore, she gives her full allegiance to the Lord of Israel. The Lord of Israel becomes her king. She entrusts herself without reservation to the Lord's mercy. It's not that she felt like somehow she was entitled to the Lord's mercy. It's rather that she trusted that the Lord's mercy was big enough to embrace someone who had no title to it. She trusted about not something in her, she trusted something in the Lord, his mercy. And it ends up, she's right. For a while, she works kind of as a double agent. And then after the war, she marries an Israelite man. And guess what? Matthew chapter one tells us that one of her descendants is King David. Ever heard of him? And another of her descendants is Jesus himself. In other words, Jesus himself is a descendant of a Canaanite woman who entrusted herself fully to the mercy of the Lord and through the mercy of the Lord gained a seat at the table of Israel's blessing. Now, keep all that in your mind and come back to our story because you can see the brilliance of the Canaanite woman's response in our reading. She looks at Jesus and in verse 27, it's as if she says, Jesus, I know enough of your character to know that the feast of your mercy has always overflowed Israel's table. She clearly knows some of the Old Testament because she calls Jesus the son of David. She knows what she's talking about. She looks at Jesus and she says, Jesus, the feast of your mercy has always overflowed Israel's table. So let your mercy overflow to me now. And in that moment, friends, something remarkable happens. Because Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises, Jesus looks at this woman and he's amazed. Can you imagine God, God's son being amazed at your faith? God looks at her and he's, or Jesus looks at her and he's amazed because he sees a faith just like his great, great, great grandma Rahab's faith. And he sees a faith in her that is the kind of faith he wants to see in all of his disciples. This Canaanite woman's faith is the model for all true faith. And what is it? Here, here it is, Emmanuel. True faith in Jesus Christ is an exclusive and persistent reliance on Jesus's mercy. It's not relying on something in us, it's relying on something in him. So she's not saying, Jesus, look at me, I, I deserve this for some, for, in some way. There's something about me that, that if you really knew what was going on, you would, you would know that, that you would feel kind of obligated to bless me or something like that. That's not what she's doing. 
this Canaanite woman takes a different path. She follows the path of Rahab before her. She doesn't appeal to anything in her. She appeals exclusively to something in Jesus. She appeals to his character and that he loves to show mercy. And what that means is that when Jesus heals her daughter, it's a real gift. It's a free gift. It's, it's sheer grace. Now, slow down here with me just a second. Earlier in the story, this is one of the things that I find difficult about this story, is it sort of looks like Jesus is reluctant to show mercy. Do you know what I mean? He's silent. He sort of says no. And then finally he says yes. But, but I want to point out that, that's, that it's not that he's reluctant to show mercy. Um, there's a Bible teacher called Amy Bird, and she has real insight on this passage. Um, and one of the things that she says is that, is that Jesus is, so to speak, setting her up, or she uses a uh, uh, baseball analogy, that Jesus is pitching the ball to this woman just right so that this Canaanite woman can respond and just hit it out of the park with her response and show everyone, including Jesus' disciples like Peter, what real faith really looks like. Emmanuel, Jesus is not reluctant to show mercy. And this Canaanite woman knew that. That's why she stayed at it. But you and I, Emmanuel, we can be much clearer about Jesus's extravagant mercy because we get to look at Jesus on the cross. Friends, think about Jesus's death for a second. Jesus did not have to die. You know that, right? Jesus died voluntarily. He wasn't obligated to us in any way. And we're not entitled to the cross. And yet without any obligation, Jesus voluntarily gave his life. He gave all that he is to us so that he could extend to us infinite mercy, especially to people who have various reasons to think that they're on, completely on the outside. And that means that when you and I look at the cross of Christ, we can approach God just like this Canaanite woman approached Jesus. Only we can approach God with even more boldness because we can see more of the magnitude of Christ's mercy. Are you bold in approaching the Lord's mercy? Um, so it's been forever since we've been able to receive communion together. Um, looking forward to starting communion very soon. Um, one of the prayers that we pray always before we receive communion, it, it's called the, the prayer of humble access, and it, and it echoes the Canaanite woman's faith. Remember what it says. It, it goes like this. We do not presume to come to this table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. Not something in us, something in God. We're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same Lord who always delights to show mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. What I want you to see is that our liturgy 
teaches us to follow the path of this Canaanite woman and to renounce all sense of entitlement or all arguments to think that we're not, that we can have no access to the Lord's mercy. Both sense of entitlement is thrown away and sense of being excluded because there's something complete, yeah, that be, because, because we're too flawed. Both of those things are excluded. And rather we come resting exclusively in the mercies of the Lord. And as we rest exclusively in the mercy of the Lord, we receive the great feast of mercy. And the great feast of mercy is receiving an intimate relationship with Christ. Christ himself is the feast of mercy. Now, Emmanuel, as we start to land the plane, what I want to point out is this. The key to spiritual renewal for all of us is to rediscover the freedom of relying exclusively on the mercy of Jesus, just like this Canaanite woman. And when we rely exclusively on Jesus's mercy, not something in us, but something in him, we'll experience renewed joy, renewed generosity, and renewed prayer. First of all, we'll, we'll experience renewed joy. Um, one of the signs of being a Christian is that the cross of Jesus Christ his death and resurrection is the animating joy of our lives. And, and the reason for that is this. At the cross of Christ, Jesus pours out mercy to us. He actually gives himself to us. And Jesus uh, gr uh, grabs us even when we're running away from him, despite the fact that we have no entitlement to his mercy, despite all the reasons why we don't deserve him, he reaches out and he grabs us and he draws us to himself and he binds us to his own family so that we become the, adop the adopted children of God. We receive something even greater than this Canaanite woman received. She received a healing for her daughter, which was magnificent. But through the cross of Christ, we receive much more. We gain Jesus himself and what he is by nature, he makes us to be by his grace. And we receive an intimacy with the Father. We enjoy the one relationship where we are loved, not because of something lovable in us, but because of something in God that makes him overflow to love us. And that means that for those of us who have a sense, we kind of default to thinking of ourselves as, as disqualified and beyond the pale and low and despised and unlovable. If that's who you are and if that's who you think you are, then the cross of Christ comes to you and says, no, the mercy of Jesus reaches down to you and lifts you up. The mercy of Jesus overcomes the lies that have told you that you are utterly unlovable. And the mercy of Jesus Christ reaches out to you just like to this, this Canaanite woman and elevates you and exalts you so that Jesus Christ can say, Father, this one, this one belongs to us. This one is my sister and my brother. This one is adopted. And this one bears the dignity of the child of God. The mercy of the Lord elevates the lowly. Do you feel that? And do you know that joy? Rest on the mercy of Jesus and your joy will be renewed. But then secondly, the mercy of Jesus renews our generosity. Now, let me turn this around. Imagine that I think that God blesses me because somehow I'm a little entitled to it. So for some of us, we, we've been told all our lives that we're kind of beyond the pale and, and so forth. For others of us, we've been trained to rely and to make sure that there's got to be, I've got to make sure that there's something in me that God 
respects or likes or there's something in me that will make me entitled somehow to God's blessing. And we almost never say it that way, but imagine that there's part of me that believes that. If I believe that, it, it will make me defensive and it'll make me stingy. I'll be defensive because I'm always trying to make the case to myself and to others that I'm worthy. I'm a good person. Don't tell me I'm not a good person. I'll be defensive. But on the other hand, I'll be stingy because I won't extend kindness until I think that somebody else is kind of worth it in some ways. I won't say it that way, but that's what's going to be going on in my life and in my heart. Resting on my own entitlement makes, my, makes me defensive and stingy. But on the other hand, when you trust exclusively in Jesus's mercy, he gives himself to you. And that means that the primary animating relationship of your life is with a God of infinite mercy. And that means that you can be secure. You don't have to, you can be secure and you can be humble. Remember, God's mercy elevates the lowly. God's mercy also humbles the haughty. And in that humility, you'll experience a security. You won't have to be defensive anymore. But on the other hand, you will be generous because you will begin to love giving away mercy without having to worry about whether or not the person's entitled to it. You'll become secure and humble and generous. So relying exclusively on the mercy of God will renew your joy. It elevates the lowly. It will, it will renew your generosity. It'll humble the haughty, but also release us to be more generous. And then finally, it will renew our prayer life and our intimacy with the Lord. Do you notice the Canaanite woman, do you notice how persistent she is? <laughs> she just will not let Jesus go. She literally gets in Jesus' way, bows down at his feet. She is not dissuaded by his silence. She's not dissuaded by his apparent no. She gets in front of him and she stays put. And Jesus loves it. Why? It's her faith. It's her faith in Jesus' mercy. She knows enough of his character to know that, she, that he will not finally deny what she really, really needs. She knows the Old Testament. That's why she calls Jesus the son of David. She knows enough of Jesus's character to know that there's mercy even in Jesus's silence and there's mercy even in Jesus's apparent nose. Do you believe that when you pray? She knows enough of Jesus's mercy and, and enough of his character to know that the Lord promises that no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's Psalm chapter 84. And therefore, because she knows his character, she keeps on pressing upon him until his mercy comes clear. And Emmanuel, that is a pattern for our prayer. Bold and persistent prayer is fueled by faith in Jesus's mercy. And that means that if our prayers are cold, and if your heart is weighed down, and if you feel distant from the Lord, and if you feel too lowly for the Lord to ever love you, or if you find yourself actually, you're pretty haughty. In any case, friends, take the path of a Canaanite woman and run to his mercy again. And say, Father, we do not presume to come to the cross of Christ trusting in anything in ourselves, neither our sophisticated arguments for how we're entitled to your mercy, nor are the lies that we've been told that we're completely beyond the pale. We reject all of that and we come trusting not in ourselves, but in you. Lord Jesus, 
We trust in your mercy. So will you pour out your mercy upon us? Will you fill us anew with your Holy Spirit? Will you bind us to the Father in deeper intimacy? Will you animate our lives with a love that we do not deserve, but is the overflow of, your, of the affection that you receive from your Father, purchased through the cross? Will you animate us with mercy and make us a people who love to extend mercy? Do that good work in us. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.